0: Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, as always, and I know it's only the second show of the week, but we already have a pretty big list of things that are falling in the month of June. So on yesterday's show, we talked about mortgage demand and the average loan amount both falling in June and also real estate deals. You know, there was a big report from Redfin that everybody was talking about on Tuesday morning. I saw a lot of reports One over at Axios, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg. A lot of people were talking about this Redfin data that showed deals falling apart in June. By the biggest number since April of 2020. So, a lot of things falling in June. And we have another entry on the list. And this time it is asking rents. And they didn't fall, but they slowed. They slowed in the month of June. And could this be a sign, or I should say, it is a sign that here we are again. We're seeing more evidence of this cooling housing market. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know. Rents and home prices have been moving in tandem for about a year now. Because there was a time where home prices, you thought they were going to fall and didn't. They slowed and then they really took off, but rents fell. And then they started, they went back to where they were and then they took off. And so for the last year, we have seen home prices and rents just moving in tandem. And we've already seen some evidence that we're seeing a slowing in home price growth, and now we're seeing a slowing with regards to rent. So this is according to the Redfin Rental Market Tracker for the month of du- Dune, June. <laughs> Dune's a movie, right? That's not what we're talking about. I wonder what real estate is on in Dune. Isn't, that, isn't like a planet? I've never seen the movie, and I do not know. The, it's a book, right? I think it is. So I don't know, but it's a planet, right? So I wonder what real estate goes for on Dune. We'll talk about that on another n- another show. Uh, national media—we're never going to get to it. National median asking rent was up fourteen percent year over year to two thousand and sixteen dollars, and that's still a big number because remember, in May, that was the first time that nationally asking rent was over two thousand dollars. So for the second month in a row, it's over two thousand dollars, but that fourteen percent year over year increase was the smallest since October. That was the last time that it was only only 14% year over year. And it still was up month over month, up 0.7%. But that was the smallest monthly increase since the start of the year. So like I said, this is some good news for everyone. I mean, It's a sign that things are starting to cool off, especially if you're a renter. That's great news. Or if you're someone that can't buy because you got priced out of the housing market and you're hearing, okay, rents might be slowing down. Also some good news. Daryl Fairweather, Redfin chief economist, says rent growth is likely slowing because landlords are seeing demand start to ease thanks to inflation. So inflation did do something good in this case. I mean, not really, because rent, of course, is a part of inflation, but the rising prices of everything else are are making rents' ability to continue at this unprecedented level. uh, It just it can't happen. She said in a statement, the slowdown in recent rent increases is likely to continue. However, rents are still climbing at unprecedented rates in strong job markets like New York and Seattle and in areas like San Antonio and Austin that soared in popularity during the pandemic now which area city do you think took the top spot this month for year over year rent increases what do you think drum roll what do you think cincinnati ohio you were right (laughs) tip of your tongue right (laughs) yeah cincinnati ohio which was four in may is now number one 39 percent year-over-year change in asking rents. I mean, I just can't get over these numbers. 39, can you imagine? 39% change? You're like, oh, what's it going to cost to renew? Oh, yeah, your rent's going up 39%. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, Seattle, Washington came in at number two with 33% year-over-year growth and Austin, Texas at number three at 32%. And just note, New York City which, if you remember during the pandemic, it was, we were told it was the end of New York City. It was over. It's finally done. No one was ever going to live in New York again. Well, I guess that's not necessarily the case. Either that or they lost like half their apartment buildings <laughs> because right now, growth for rent year over year, 27%. So clearly there are people who are demanding to live in New York City. So, as Mark Twain famously said, the, uh, news of New York's demise has been greatly exaggerated. And exaggeration, that's a good word. That's a good segue, too. Because as we all know, home prices and rents, of course, reflected in rents, uh, have been, many would argue, exaggerated (laughs) these last couple of years. And the argument has been that, well, inventory levels are so low that this demand is going or these prices are stable because it's not some, you know, 2008 situation where lending standards were dropped and so therefore, you know, all these people were able to borrow money really cheaply and therefore distorted the market. These are actually based on supply and demand in nature or in my nature, I mean by happening in the economy. Well, Jonathan Levin, who I think this is the second time we've referenced his piece in just the last week, which is fine because he's a smart, dude. So I'm going to I'm not embarrassed to talk about two pieces he wrote in, in the same week. If they're good, we're going to talk about them. He says that housing inventories may not save prices after all. So he's saying, ooh, there could be another piece to this puzzle that we are unaware of. He says the real estate market is starting to show signs of cracking in some of the most expensive cities in the country. And other pricey areas should brace for a rough stretch ahead. Now, this is a big impact on North Carolina because, let's face it, I mean, Raleigh and Charlotte are always in the top 10 of places where home prices have just skyrocketed. And so if there's a concern about those places, North Carolina could be impacted. And I broadcast out of Wilmington, and We would definitely feel that. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So the prevailing real estate narrative, Levin writes, suggests that housing prices would stay buoyant because of a historic shortage of available inventory, which has risen recently, but still well below the historic norms. But Levin says, for all the signs that the market was facing headwinds, few people were prepared for mortgage rates that approach 6%. And I will say, I did not think that was on the menu for 2022. <laughs> I, did. I remember, you know, the predictions by everybody. I mean, I don't care who you were looking at, you know, CoreLogic, Mortgage Bankers Association, Zillow, uh, National Association of Realtors. I mean, all these predictions at the end of last year were like 4%. <laughs> you know, no one. And the thing is, is that rates were much lower at the beginning of the year We did see them sort of, I don't know, what was the highest rate I saw, six something. And so let's say they fall towards the end of the year. Let's say we're seeing slowing economic growth. We could average maybe four high fours, possibly. But let's just say no one expected to see six anything with regards to mortgage rates. And so that jump, I mean, the fact that when you look at these year over year changes to mortgage rates and their 250 basis points, 300 basis points, it's priced a lot of people out of the market that they assumed were going to be in the market. So it has changed that dynamic, which once again, that is the design of this whole situation. The Fed said home prices are skyrocketing. What can we do? Well, we can get rid of some of this demand, raising rates. I mean, so once again, let's not forget that this is all by design. You know, everyone thinks it's just sort of like naturally happened. No, the, the rates were raised. Right? The Fed made it very clear they wanted rates going up. They wanted to stifle demand. Now, Levin says, what's more, housing supply varies widely across the country. And that's why I continue to say here on the podcast to steal from Tip O'Neill, who famously said all politics is local. All real estate is local. And so, sure, I like to talk about national numbers here on the show because I think it gives you a good idea of what's happening, well, nationally. (laughs) I feel like Austin Powers right there (laughs) Allow myself to introduce myself. (laughs) I like to look at national numbers because it gives you an idea of what's happening nationally. But, yeah, it can distort what's happening in local markets. No doubt about that. You are going to see, especially... At, you know, for the rest of the year, you're going to see, I think, a big difference between markets where for the, for the most part, I mean, it's been pretty much hot everywhere. So it was a hot housing market pretty much everywhere. There were some places like maybe D.C. and Boston that it wasn't as hot as you would expect, but it's been pretty much a hot housing market. But I think you're going to start seeing some big spreads between what is happening in one housing market and another housing market. It's going to go back to all real estate is local, where you're gonna see just different housing conditions. There's no doubt about that. And so that's that's what Levin is pointing out. And he says that what's happening is that sellers are sensing a closing window of opportunity to lock in profits, and so they are rushing to add additional inventory into the market where there's already an increase in inventory. So it's kind of like a, a double whammy there. So you're seeing a big spike. And inventory. Now he says the upshot is that the market is already starting to turn in some places. On a seasonally adjusted month on month basis, home values fell in June in seven of the 100 biggest housing markets, four of which are in California, Austin, Texas, Seattle, and Ogden, Utah. This is according to Zillow data. Now, he does also point out that the economy is going to play a role in this as well, saying it stands to reason that the U.S. housing prices would come under pressure in this economy, much like consumer prices, stocks and even cryptocurrencies. (laughs) A little different with cryptos, I would think. Home prices surged during the COVID-19 pandemic, and now these sky high prices are running up against a Federal Reserve committed to stabilizing inflation by tightening financial conditions. And we all know the Fed is also willing to go beyond what may be necessary in order to really get inflation under control. Now Levin, of course, points out this is not 2007 all over again. He says, lending standards have vastly improved since then and it seems unlikely that many homeowners will find themselves forced to sell Yet, with some key markets already slipping, it would be foolhardy to assume that the rest of the housing market couldn't end up in a similar position as the Fed remains committed to tight financial conditions. And yeah, I mean, that's why people have talked about home prices correcting. Now, I still think anyone saying that there's going to be a crash is just, I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it makes no sense to me. I mean, because remember... The reason there was a housing crash in 2007, 2008 is because people were borrowing against their home. They were doing 100% loans and also they had adjustable rates. And so what happened was, is that rates went up and they couldn't afford to stay in their home. The home had already lost value. They were underwater. Why would you stay in there? And then rents and the economy collapsed. Rents fell. And so all of a sudden you can rent for half the price of what you were paying. Why would you stay in the home? Makes no sense. It's kind of the exact opposite right now, where you got people who are sitting on historically low mortgage rates. I think the majority of homeowners have rates under five, good majority under four, probably. They have a immense amount of equity. And even if you do see rent start to drop, it's still going to be cheaper for people to live in their homes. I mean, I talked to friends of mine and so I'm renting right now and I talked to friends of mine and their mortgages, I live in a two bedroom apartment. They live in homes. Their mortgage is cheaper than my two-bedroom apartment. <laughs> Why would they leave? Even if their home, let's say like the insanity happened and they lost so much equity, which is impossible, that they're underwater, they would still stay in the home because it would cost more for them to rent. And so, yeah, I mean, you could see markets where you could see a bigger correction, say 10%, maybe a little bit more, but I still think that national number of a 5% correction is pretty close to what's going to happen because the vast majority of people are just not going to leave unless we hit like some kind of great depression, then all bets are off. They're always off, right? When (laughs) when that happens, but that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're going to see a little slight recession and then boom sky's limit for the u.s economy all right before we go speaking of a recession one of the things that can cause a recession is inflation all of a sudden people can't afford to buy the things that they've been buying they have to cut back consumer spending drops consumer spending of course two-thirds of gdp gdp drops boom we're in a recession simple math that's how it works Well, Nick Tamiros over at the Wall Street Journal writes that climbing housing costs could set up a situation where basically inflation stays elevated. And we talked about this at the end of last week, that Jonathan Levin piece that I mentioned earlier that I think I confused everyone by trying to talk about. (laughs) That's why I said just go read his piece. But it basically has to do with the way that our inflation calculations work where there's a lag with regards to housing cost increases. And so it takes a while for that to be felt, but then it also takes a while for it to leave and dissipate from the numbers. So when you have elevated housing costs like we've had during the pandemic and then after, even when you see a decline in the economy, housing inflation could still stay elevated for a couple months after, because of that lag. And that's precisely what um, Nick Timoros. That's what it is. It's Timoros. I was saying it's Timoros is how you say it. I always feel bad because he's like the Fed Whisperer over at the Wall Street Journal. And I should know his name. And so, not that I'm ever going to like interview him. But, I mean, you never know. Maybe I would. But <laughs> you should know his name, Nick Timoros, over at the Wall Street Journal. So, he wrote in the Wall Street Journal... Quote, annual housing inflation, as measured in the CPI, hit a recent low in early 2021 at 1.4% and has since rebounded very well to 5.4% in May, well above the annual average of 3.5% that we saw between 2015 and 2019. He says housing inflation is important because it represents around two-fifths of core CPI and one-sixth of the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, the personal consumption expenditures price index. So obviously it has an oversized impact on this inflation data, which by the way, we are going to be getting later today. We will be getting the June CPI print, which should come in the projection. Well, I've seen projections anywhere from 8.9 to 8.5. <laughs> so I think the, narrative is 8.8 a little bit of an increase 8.6 in may it's supposed to go to 8.8 in june uh, and it was funny because there was actually a fake cpi report making the rounds on twitter someone just like made they just took the may report and just changed some of the the data but they were too lazy to actually like do the math <laughs> because well for the graph at the bottom was the same one so they said that month over month that cpi had gone up 1.7 percent but the graph still showed 1%. So they just changed it from May to June, but they didn't actually change the number. <laughs> so they couldn't be bothered to do that. And then the math didn't even make sense. Like a 1.7 jump would not lead to a 1.6% change to the annualized rate. So they didn't even do the math right. But it was funny, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics actually had to come out and say, that's a fake report, that's not ours, it's not gonna be happening. But I think it's around the conventional Wisdom, the economists, the professional economists, I think are saying about 8.8% is the median estimate for what's going to be happening at 830 this morning. Now, okay, back to this piece by Nick Timoros, David Wilcox, a senior economist at Bloomberg Economics, told the journal that he expects overall inflation to diminish this year, but that the slowdown is going to have to emanate from other sectors of the consumer marketplace because he also believes that rent inflation will continue to rise this summer before peaking at around 6.5% over the next several months. That would be a 36-year high. I mean, when housing inflation is 6.5%, I mean, everything else could fall to zero and you're still going to be above... The Fed's target rate of two percent, <laughs> so that's that's going to be a problem. I mean, that's what Jonathan Levin wrote about that it could change the Fed's approach uh, to rate hikes. Are they going to stop the rate hikes? You know, what what are they going to do with regards to their balance sheet? All of that. Uh, Tim Roast is not alone in this opinion. As I mentioned, Jonathan Jonathan Levin at Bloomberg wrote about this very topic last week, saying that because of the mechanics. Housing is likely to keep exerting upward pressure on the index into 2023. And there may come a point in the not so distant future when policymakers may decide to look past the housing element in the index. So, housing, man, having a big impact on inflation and what the Fed. I mean, we know that one of the main reasons why the Fed's like, hey, we're going to go possibly beyond the point of you know, where we'd be sort of like an equilibrium with regards to the Fed fund rate because of housing. And now they may have to ignore housing <laughs> in order to deal with the overall economy and what's happening with inflation. So interesting times ahead. And as I mentioned, big, big report today, CPI. Are we going to see that 8.8% increase? Because I think the also the other narrative is that the core CPI is actually supposed to fall. So really what's driving inflation right now seems to be energy and food, which is what most consumers buy on a daily basis, which is why most people say I don't care about core CPI. I care about food and energy costs. Even though energy energy costs are down, I think I saw 28 days in a row gas prices have fallen. I mean, they're still high, but you know, 28 days in a row, I'll take it. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. We'll be talking inflation on Thursday's edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.